Good uh, morning, my name's Thomas. While I'm getting set up, you can turn your Bibles to Amos chapter 7. It might take you a moment to find that particular book anyway. So turn to Amos chapter 7. And we're going to dig in this morning. I'm going to jump straight in for our time's sake and for the things that I believe God wants us to hear uh, from His Word. So today, the big idea, if you take one thing away from our time in the Word this morning, it's that you are called to preach. Not just me, not just pastors, we're all individually called to be evangelists. Even if you aren't good at it, 1 Timothy tells us we can do the work of an evangelist. We, we are all called to share the gospel with others. So as we jump into our text, you're finding your, your place in Amos chapter 7. I want to give you a timeline, an introduction. So, uh, 760 B.C. is where we are in a divided kingdom of northern Israel. That's where our story is going to take place. Today we'll see an, a dialogue, an exchange between uh, two men, Amos and a guy named Amaziah. And there is a guy, this, there's a king there, his name is Jeroboam II, he's the king. Amos, the prophet, is a contemporary to Hosea. And so if you read those books together, you'll get a, a sense of what's going on in the culture uh, during this day. I think I have some slides for these parts. The culture of the day was a divided country. There was uh, this golden calf worship. Do you guys have a picture of that up there? The, there was this golden calf that was, calf that was set up in Bethel. And they would worship this instead of going to Jerusalem to worship the one true God. I want to introduce you to our characters. First, we have Amos. Amos is the country preacher. He is, like I said, a contemporary of Hosea. He's from Tekoa, so he's not from the place where he's preaching. So I resonate with him quite well. I'm not from Portland, Oregon. It's where I'm going to go, a very different place. He preaches on judgment, man. His book is heavy stuff. Yet at the same time, in Amos 5.6, he says to seek the Lord. He provides an out. He doesn't want judgment. He wants people's hearts to turn. Our other man in the story is Amaziah. Amaziah is called the priest of Bethel. He is what I call the political priest. He's not actually a priest. He's not in Jerusalem. He's in Bethel, a different place. This is idolatry. But he is still a political power, much like other religions um, around the world that are, are intertwined with the government, he is intertwined. And thirdly, this man is not in the dialogue, but he is responsible for part of the story. Jeroboam II is the king, and he is who I call the lost boss. Uh, he's wearing that mega hat, if you will, because he, if you read 2 Kings 14, is used mightily of the Lord to do something great for Israel, to expand Israel's coast, to take down some of their enemies, to get them the land that they rightly deserved. But he doesn't actually repent. He doesn't walk with the Lord. So he does great things, and there are people like that in the world. They do great things. God gives permission for people to do great things, even that would benefit his people. But he doesn't ever repent. He's actually responsible for some pretty awful stuff in Israel. So that's, I wanted you to see the setting. When we jump in, we'll jump into a dialogue between these two guys. First, we start with Amos. So if you look at Amos 7, starting in verse 7, it says, Thus he showed me, so Amos has this revelation, And behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? 
And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will not again pass by them anymore. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. So we begin, we're jumping in early. There's a famous phrase we're going to see here in a moment, but we've got to get the story. In chapter 7, if you go back to verses 1 and verses 4, you see that uh, Amos gets a revelation of fire and of grasshoppers. And these are both consuming Israel. And so God is, is, is telling him, hey, I'm going to destroy my people because they're wicked. It's not our standard. It's not our ideology. It is the Lord's. So Deuteronomy 32 says, the Lord, he is perfect. Just and right is he. He is the only one. He is the standard. The Lord is the standard. And if you look at verse 7, it says, The Lord stood upon a wall. So we're not preaching our plumb line. This is, in some way, Amos sees God standing on a true wall, a wall that's built to plumb. It says that's the standard for preaching. And we all know, all have fallen short of that standard, right? Nobody makes the standard. We also see in verse 8, he says, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people. We see God's judgment. That God will judge sin. He's just and right. He has to judge. And this, the sad thing is, when you put the plumb up to a wall that's not straight, we see that it's crooked. That looks something like this. I have a picture of a crooked wall. If you buy a house and this is your basement, you're like immediately disappointed, like, oh, no, this has gone horribly wrong. I should have did the inspection. I should have got the insurance, you know, whatever the thing is. And this is where we all stand before the Lord. Everybody is like this crooked wall, this uh, bowed wall. And, and we know that God is the one that, that judges. He's the one that searches the heart. Jeremiah 17, 10, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. It's not up to us to convict the world of sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He works with the word of God in the hearts of men, drawing to his, son's, his son Jesus. Matthew Henry says it this way. He says, it was the business of prophets to pray for those to whom they prophesied and so to show they did not desire the woeful day. So if you want to preach, you need to also have a heart for people that says, I want to spare you of the judgment to come, not to see it come upon you. And it's easy if we've been offended or if we've got into the word and we're zealous for the Lord to just say, man, these people are wicked. And they are as you were without the Lord. doesn't matter how liberal or conservative you were before you were a Christian. We're all just as lost without Christ. And it's really easy to see agendas, even wicked agendas. Like you could imagine the things that go on in the Pacific Northwest. It's not uncommon for me to get interrupted by people preaching the other side, their message. Excuse me, do you have a moment to talk about trans rights? Excuse me, do you have a moment to talk about women's rights, which means abortion? They're interrupting us on the street with the message. It's really easy for me to want to make a moral uh, high ground about my position that's better than yours. And it is. It's right. It's true. But I can totally miss the gospel for my own judgment. And I'm just as wicked as them. And if it weren't for Christ, just like James said, I wouldn't be his friend because I was a sinner. I have a pretty rough past. I've done some foolish things. I would not be worthy of honor if it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't for his word transforming me. And we do need people to stand and defend general righteous principles. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. 
But I put it to you this way. If your preaching is to satisfy your own judgment, your motives are wrong. It's humbling, isn't it? Because when they have an agenda for your children, you should be upset about that. But don't get your emotions too twisted up. Take it to the Lord, unload your burden, ask for his heart and to see people for how he sees them. This was meaningful to me uh, when I was in Portland, my first survey trip, I, I'm just going to be honest, I got off an airplane, from airplane to the first train, there was already a man dressed as a woman, demonically, you know, just mumbling and doing all the things, being weird, and it's like, okay, this place is strange. Off of the first train onto the first bus, there's already people uh, smoking drugs, it's, it's legal now, they passed a thing, Measure 110, that made, uh, you know, it legal to just walk around and smoke whatever you want. Um, from there to, from the train, or from the bus to my Airbnb, you know, there's tents all along the sidewalks, and it's just like, this place is gross, man. I'm saying that in private company. I don't want to say that to anyone else. I don't mean that anymore. God's changed my heart. But I didn't love it at first. But I read the next morning, Luke 13. Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, uh, hey, man, have you, ever, you know about, about these Galileans? These guys are pretty wicked. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So it doesn't matter what the sin, oh, you think they're such bad sinners over there with all their sin? We're all under the same condition. If you all, if, you, if, you don't, if nobody repents, it doesn't matter, you won't be saved. So the Lord slapped me upside the head with that verse, and I was able to see Portland clearly. All right, sin, sin, it's all good. We'll just, we'll just preach the gospel here. That's fine. But let's talk about consequences. Verse 8. He says, I will not again pass by them anymore. And this is just a terrifying phrase. God says, I'm going to drop my plumb line to my people. Israel's apostate. They're wicked. All this idolatry. They're worshiping everything else. They're a crooked wall. And what's going to happen as a result is I am rejecting them. I won't pass by them anymore. This is the worst phrase that could be said about anybody. To die without the Lord is the worst thing that could happen to any human. Amen. Isaiah 59, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. I mean, that phrase should shake us to our core when we think about maybe not the people that you're politically opposed to. Maybe we want them to feel some certain things or something. I'm not promoting that you would, but, you know, you have internal sense of justice, right? But what about your friends and your family, your brothers and sisters, your children, your parents? Do you want them to experience verse 8, I will not again pass by them anymore? It's likely that most of you will be preaching the gospel in your circles, right? You're not going to Portland. I mean, you can come. Come. We'll hang out. Let's go. I'll put you on the street. I'll point you at lost people. We'll figure it out. But I put it to you this way. If, if you fully understand the gospel and the consequences of it, then you have a duty to preach to your neighbors. You have a responsibility. Now let's look at the response. Amos gets this grandiose vision. Hey, man, the Lord's got this plumb line. He's going to wipe you all out. Super exciting message, right? You could imagine how, how wonderful that's going to be. 
in a, let's just say, a liberal environment. Yeah, sounds great. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Yeah, let's do that. Well, Amos' message bombs, and we now find Amaziah. So verse 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words, for thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away, uh, captive out of their own land. Also, Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and prophesy there, and prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it's the king's court. So like I said, his message bombed. Amaziah says, why don't you go preach somewhere else? So you can expect opposition. You should expect that this message that takes people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son will be met with resistance. Moses had sorcerers that resisted the truth, right? 2 Timothy 3.8. In Paul's first missionary journey, we see that he's immediately met with a sorcerer named Eliamus, who's trying to, to take the deputy away from hearing the gospel. Those same Jews follow, man, follow him all around Paul in Acts chapter 13, opposing everything that he's saying, stirring up the people. You should not be surprised when your good intentions to share the gospel are met with people who want to interrupt and get between you and your intended audience. That's exactly what Amaziah is doing. And don't forget, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not necessarily just the man. He's aligned with the spirit of Antichrist that's rejecting the gospel. But there's more, than what's go more going on than what we can see. So I put it to you this way. When you preach the gospel, you will get the attention of the enemy. Don't be surprised when your kids start having demonic dreams. When all of a sudden your marriage is like, what is happening? Why do we hate each other? What, what, how, how, what, is, what happened? You shouldn't be surprised when, when you feel just overwhelmingly depressed. Like, what, is, what happened? Why do I feel this way? What is going on? You shouldn't be surprised when people interrupt you. When we're in Portland, we're sharing on the street. Uh, we have demonic people that walk all around. I had one guy uh, on our team over here uh, having a great exchange, Romans Road, and there's uh, some dude that's just on something, bowing down, totally on his hands and knees on the ground before him and walking around and shouting and yelling and <laughs> car horns going off, all the weird things that are happening at just the right time when you're trying to transmit saving truth, you know. Don't be surprised when any of that stuff happens. You're going to get the enemy's attention. But also, you should expect to be misrepresented. So this is why our message needs to be clear. And it cannot be political. It cannot be whatever your preference is. It can't even be conservatism. Because you know everybody on the other side of that thing wants to take something and be offended, right? The people that don't really want the gospel are going to twist everything that you're saying. We see here in our text that Amos, or I'm sorry, Amaziah calls Amos's message conspiracy. He says that Israel can't bear his words. They're a burden to Israel. What you're saying, this is not good for our people. And if you preach the gospel enough, you'll find out that the people that don't want it, that's the way they see it. You're essentially dethroning them as their own God. Nobody wants that. 
I'm the greatest thing on the planet. Didn't you know that? I'm my own God. If you're at the end of evolution, that's what man is. We're our own most powerful little creatures. But Paul said, my speech and my, my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Don't overcomplicate the message. Don't take the bait on all the other things that you could get excited about. Stay the course for the gospel conversation. Stay true. But let me ask you about your own message. If your coworkers, I'll put it to you in your, if you're taking notes, if a friend or a coworker would summarize your message, would it be salvation? What is the thing that you're always com- that's always coming out of your mouth? Is it Fox News? I watch both sides of the news, by the way. Just like, you know, neither one is totally right. They're just, it's all crazy. Are, do you think that politics are going to save people from their sins? Or is it the gospel? And if you know that they are going to take something and get offended, you better let it be Jesus, man. Just make that the, okay, be offended. We're just preaching the gospel. We just want to save you, that's all. Be offended, okay. And again, expect rejection. It's going to happen. Verse 12, Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go, flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy. But prophesy not again any more at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel in the king's court. So we have country boy in the king's chapel, bringing down the heat. He's got some words that are intense. I, I resonate with my guy Amos. In the belly of the beast is where he's gone to preach, not his hometown. He's in the political capital of the northern kingdom. It it quite, to me, feels like Portland. It it may not be Washington, D.C., but it's certainly a place with a great agenda where teams of populations uh, go in and out of, and honestly, people go to, to live their own special kind of life, if you will. Let's talk about your confidence. What is going to happen when you face this rejection? Maybe you have preached the gospel with good intentions, and even a family member is like, man, I don't don't want any of that stuff. And you might be tempted to think, did I do something wrong? Like, maybe I shouldn't be, maybe I was too aggressive. Maybe I shouldn't be, maybe I shouldn't use the Bible. Maybe we start backpedaling because we don't want rejection. Well, if you preach the truth in love, the Bible says mercy, mercy and truth, I'm sorry, yeah, mercy and truth are kissed together. If you have both in your message, then the rejection isn't about you. Look at verse 14. <coughs> then answered Amos and said unto Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was an herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said unto me, Go. Prophesy unto my people. You can hear Amos is hard in here. He's like, man, this really wasn't my idea, as frequently we see with the Old Testament prophets. Um, I don't know. The Lord just started speaking to me. I didn't really have much of a choice about that. So uh, I heard about this Jonah guy. I think I probably ought to just go do what I'm supposed to do, you know. He says, I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And you, you need to know your calling. You need to know your calling. If you're taking notes, that is one of your next points. Verse 15, the Lord said unto me, go. 
right? This gospel thing, it's not your idea. This death, burial, resurrection thing, none of it's your idea. But you've been entrusted with it, and according to 2 Corinthians 5, if you're in Christ, if any man is in Christ, the new creature now has a new responsibility to be given to the ministry of reconciliation. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for people with mustaches that want to go to weird places in this country. Okay? I do feel compelled to preach in so much that I've changed my whole life around so I can do it more. Okay? I want to do that. But we're all called to that. The ministry of reconciliation is about bringing man into right standing with God through his son Jesus. And you have that ministry, and that's why I'm saying you are also called to preach. You have circles. You have people. I don't know. I'm not in your social media algorithms, man. I don't know. You've got places to be. Go take the gospel with you. Because you know, Romans 10, 13, we all love that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? But verse 14 says, how shall they hear without a preacher? We have to open our mouths and communicate God's word. Nobody is going to get saved without the gospel. And honestly, without someone personally sharing it with them. Yes, read things online, print tracts, read Bibles, but at the end of the day, God says he wants a man to preach. And not just a man. Obviously, women can preach in a personal evangelism kind of setting. So you need to know your calling, that this sharing the gospel business isn't your idea. You're called of the Lord to steward the ministry of reconciliation. But also, you need to check out your experience. Uh, our man here, Amos, was like, listen, man, I don't, I don't have any experience in this. I'm just doing what the Lord told me to do, right? He says in verse 14, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. This is a, the famous verse that I was telling you about. I was in Herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Essentially, we have a blue-collar laborer rolling up into Bethel in the king's court to the high priest guy. Like, I'm going to drop my word on you, bro. You don't need to have a lot of experience to share the gospel. You don't need to be through LFBI to share the gospel with the people around you. You can be pretty blue-collar. Matthew Henry says of Amos, he was a plain countryman, bred up and employed in country work, and used to country fare. Now, I can relate to this boy, right? Anybody else? Although we did have grits last night at our pastor meal thing, and I still haven't got to grits, man. I'm just not like... I'm down for biscuits. I'm down for collard greens. Sweet tea. Sweet tea. I'm a Coke fan. You know, I like Coca-Cola now. But I'm in, I'm in Georgia, by the way, if you don't know. I'm just north of Atlanta. I've been there for six years, so I'm a northerner coming to the south, and I acquired a taste for country fare. At first, it just tasted like butter. That was kind of everything. <laughs> Butter and salt. And then it was like, oh, okay, I get it. There are subtle flavors of thing here. But, but I can relate to Amos. You know, he's a country boy. He's, he's blue collar. And I worked in engineering before I was a pastor. And I've had myriad other jobs before then. But I'm somewhat of a redneck. Um, if it were up to me, me and my family would probably just move further into the backwoods of Georgia. I have three boys, seven and under. And you have to go outside every day. It's the rule of boys. If you don't, they will climb the walls. So thou shalt go outside. <laughs> we would go outside and we would blow things up and catch things on fire and climb trees and shoot AR-15s. And we just have a great time. You know, we would have a good time. That would be my personal preference as a human being. 
I do ministry, I love people, but I would move into solitude and blow things up and then come out of that to go minister to people. That's my preference, and I have done that. I live in a suburb, and I have still blown things up, so <laughs> accidentally at times. Um, but the, the mission has caused me to view the world differently and say it's not about me where I am in Tekoa. That's where Amos grew up with the experience that he had. God gave him a mission, and he's in a totally different place, and some of us need to resonate with that and just say, I'll put off my preference as to what I want, the people that I like, how I feel, and I want to be about the Lord's business. But for you, for your experience, uh, I put it to you this way, you don't need much experience to preach the gospel. You can start with your testimony. Even if you're not equipped through evangelism, if you're brand new and you're like, I don't know, I'm saved, and I don't even know how, I believed in Jesus or something. That's enough, man. If you have a death-to-life experience, like I once was lost and now I'm found, like, that'll do. We'll start with that, right? And obviously you want to get trained and you want to get equipped. And so let me talk to you just for a moment about the training process because uh, you don't get to necessarily just go like Amos did. He, he just seems to kind of went. He didn't go to the school of the sons of the prophets like many other people in the Old Testament. There were training grounds for them. But we're in a different dispensation. And the Bible is clear as we continue in the New Testament, lay hands suddenly on no man. A requirement for a pastor, 1 Timothy chapter 3, is not a novice. And so if you want to go, if you want to be that man, if you're down, you're like, yeah, throw me at San Francisco. <coughs> Honestly, I, I joke around and say, I'm going to Portland before they send me to San Francisco. Because it's worse. Honestly, California's Oregon at least has different rules, like governmental and all that, you know. And I'm so, again, I'm not just trying to be pro-conservative. But just as far as biblical values are concerned and interpreting the world through a biblical worldview, there are certain cities and cultures that are just further and further away from that. That's all I mean. I'm not, you know, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. You guys know this, right? But let's talk about training. I had a man come up to me this week and say, hey, I want to be like you. I want to go and plant a church. And I was like, man, praise the Lord, dude. Some of the benefits of doing what I'm doing is that I, don't, like, I didn't do it for other people. I'm doing it because I feel compelled. That's what the Lord wants me to do. But I do also want to be an example while I'm in it. Like, I might as well do it well <laughs> so we can stir up others to go and do it, right? And as we stimulate others to the mission, we also need to stimulate them to training. So what I told him was, it's going to take you longer than what you want. It took me 10 years to complete LFBI. Most of that is because I'm a terrible student. Also because I was doing ministry and having a family and all the things at the same time. I, w I was... Um, uh, volunteer minister for a while, you know, all that sort of thing. But let's look at these um, experiences that Amos has. First, he's a shepherd. Verse 14, he says, I was in herdman. In verse 15, he says, the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And in chapter 1, verse 1, he says he was among the herdmen of Tekoa. If you want to be a good minister, if you want to go and preach to kings like Amos is doing. He's in the king's court, big pulpit. Well, you had better first be faithful to the flock. You need to be faithful to the people that are around you as a shepherd, caring for souls, caring even for children, for little ones, developing compassion, follow-up, diligence. Much like my man right here, as uh, we were talking this week, 
I hardly even had to ask him what he did. Like, hey, man, what do, you, what do you do in ministry here? And he starts talking about you guys. Man, I'm following up with these people, and this, someone was sick or in the hospital or something, whatever. And this man, I was like, this dude's a shepherd. He's caring about you. I don't know if you all feel the same way or not. That's what it sounds like to me when I hear him talk, is I hear his care for you. You need people in your life that are going to care for you like that. It, James and I prayed in the back, and I was just grateful to the Lord to say, man, I'm glad that you guys are taking prayer requests. And this just isn't all preaching. We need people to shepherd us. We need to be together. We need to be in community. And we need to be faithful to those overseers. But if you want to go and preach, you need to be faithful to the flock. Luke 16, Jesus says, He that is faithful, you know this, right? In the least, is faithful in much. So, if you want to be used of the Lord in a greater way, be faithful to the responsibilities and the souls that you currently have. So moms and dads, if you're not discipling your children, we're not sending you to Bethel. Sunday school teachers, pastors, whoever you are, you've got to be faithful to the flock. Maybe you've got a children's ministry class. It might seem insignificant and small, yet still, just like King David, those few sheep, that's where he was faithful before he was ever made the king. Secondly, Amos is an evangelist. The text might not say that, but you can gather that from verse 14. He says he was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. What do you think a gatherer of fruit is? You know the whole Bible, right? You got, I'm assuming you're at Midtown. You guys know all, all the Bible and all the words, right? I'm assuming you all are like Arione. You guys just all know everything, okay? But you know, what the, you know what fruit is and what we see in the New Testament? John 15, Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Right? So we know that bearing fruit is drawing people to Christ, seeing them saved. Well, he, do, he does the drawing. We pursue people. We, we see them saved. We grow them. We disciple them, etc. But Amos had two jobs, man. Herdman and a gatherer of fruit. Whoa. Sometimes we've got to learn how to spin multiple plates, especially if you want to be in ministry. You're not just going to go 100% vocational ministry right away. Now, some would say that Amos was poor, and this is indication of that from the multiple jobs, the seasonal kind of nature of work that he had. But nevertheless, he is essentially fruitful in the field. And again, if you want to be a sent one, or I put it to you this way, if you want to be used of the Lord in a greater way, then you need to prove yourself as a laborer in the field of evangelism. If you're not sharing the gospel with people in KC, why would you do that when we send you to wherever you want to go? If you want to be a pastor, but you're not faithfully stewarding the gospel already in your regular life, why would we make you a pastor and give you more opportunity to do that? Right? So these two things together, as a shepherd, Amos could preach with care for his people, not wanting their judgment, as a gatherer, he knew who was sensitive to repentance and ready to be a brand plucked out of the fire. Are you, can you test that? You know, like you go to the supermarket and you're like feeling the fruit, squeezing it. To, like who's ready? Seasonal. Uh, that's the job that he had there. All right, so let's lastly look at the consequence of preaching. Verse 16. So before verse 16, Amos we have Amos and Amaziah going back and forth. Amos, after rejection, he just said, hey, man, I, I didn't get into this thing, but for the Lord, I'm just trying to do what he tells me to do. 
But by the way, since you're rejecting the gospel, let me just tell you what's going to come for you. Verse 16. Now therefore, hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. Verse 17. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, thy wife shall be an harlot in the city, and thy sons and thy daughters shall fall by the sword. Thy land shall be divided by line. And thou shalt die in a polluted land, and Israel shall surely go into captivity forth of his land. That's brutal, isn't it? Like it's hard to think about children being slain, your, uh, someone's wife becoming a prostitute, just like, blah, blah. But is that not the end of sin? Does it not desecrate people's lives? Galatians 6, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. When we don't do it the Lord's way, unfortunately, there is a law, a biblical law in place that God says, there's only one option. It's not going to be good. And many of you, even after salvation, maybe you're still reaping. You've sown to things in your sinful past. You repent, you get right, you get walking with the Lord, but you're still dealing with some baggage, right? We all know this. And once you realize the depth of how deep those roots go of the sin that we planted, and even after we've repented, they're still following us around, we're like, listen, pro, please don't. You, you want to stay away from this stuff, right? But we can't act like when people reject the gospel, it's going to be fine. All oh, they're good people, you know. They, they do their own thing. It's in their own way. They believe in some other thing. Kind of like, it's a little different, but you know, it's fine. It's actually not. And it doesn't mean you get to be the judge. The Holy Spirit does the work. You, the standard is the Lord and His Word. Our heart is for people. But in an evangelism conversation, you can't just let people walk away and be like, oh, nice meeting you. Bye. See you. Okay. You should retain your Christian testimony, right? We should walk away kind of burdened. There are times when we're doing street evangelism where after a conversation... It's like, I'm not ready for the next person. You know, we're in a pedestrian kind of area, and we're just like, oh, man, I don't. And then you get into another conversation, and you're like, I'm not even ready for you, bro. I, don't, I can't do it because I'm still processing the last one, right? Because they're souls. It's not machinery. And that makes evangelism complex because there's a, an energy that kind of is taken from you after dialoguing with people. And we found in the street, as I take uh, teams of people to Portland, we go for about two hours at a time. I just cut them loose in an area and say, go talk to as many people as you want. And after two hours, we're all kind of like ready to go lay down somewhere. There's, and we try to do it twice in one day. We go back out in the afternoon. We're like, do you want to talk about Jesus? You know, There's a drain, in, like preaching, like studying, like whatever. It's an energy that you use, and it's kind of taken from you. And we need to be sensitive not to do it in the flesh, right? And understand the consequences and allow people to to settle with the consequences of like, just know you're not actually saved. But at least in the South, we're like, oh, it's fine. They're good. Their parents do whatever, you know. Or maybe even in the case of Jeroboam II. He did great things for our country, you know. It's fine. He does all that Bethel stuff, but like, he's helped our country a lot. And maybe you can think of other recent political leaders that have helped our country a lot, but we kind of oversee, oh, well, you know, <laughs> you know, there's those other things too. The end of sin sucks. Nobody wants 
any of that. And that is what compels me to the ministry of evangelism. To love my neighbor is at least my duty to let you know, hey man, God has a different way for you. If you reject that, that's between you and him. But I don't want that for you. So Luke 15, 4, I'll, I'll say this in the next service when I give a Portland update. Jesus says, What man of you having an hundred sheep, if you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? It's hard to maintain that kind of attitude all day, every day, but that's, that's the heart of Jesus. Philippians 2, stepping out of glory, taking on your earthly stuff, serving you, sinner. That's the heart of the Lord. And honestly, what, what a sad legacy for Jeroboam II. It says, Israel shall surely go into captivity. Yeah, this man did great things for his country. But at the end of the day, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That was his end. And Amaziah's end was worse. His wife, his kids, all the things. Yeah, we don't want that. So that's why you're enlisted. You've been called to preach. You can do something about it. You point your feet and the gospel at your friends and family. You do it in timing. You're praying. You're uh, figuring out the fruit. A sick, you're a gatherer of fruit, right? So not everything's ripe. Not everything's ready. Repent now. Uh, you, be meek and humble and gracious and kind, but be consistent in your message and um, intentional in your lifestyle. Because there's people in your life that I'll never meet. You're, the, you're their minister. You're their evangelist. And if you're faithful to that and you want to do more, Let's go, man. There's a field. We'll point you at the world. Tokyo, 38 million people in one city. Like 2% or less Christian. And we'll just look around the rest of the country, our, our own country. It's going to shambles, right? It's fast, man. The decline is so quick. I keep wondering, like, is this just me getting old and realizing how the world is, or has the world actually changed this much, right? But it, it has changed. It's true. So for you, maybe today... In, in response, and I don't know how much time I have, but to hear the word and do something with it. Is there anything that comes to mind for you? Are there any people that you think, man, I've got to talk, I need to pray about getting a hold of this person. Man, I need to get over myself and just actually say the hard stuff. Man, I need to temper my judgment. I'm a little radical, and I need to get a heart for people. We all fall in different places there, but whatever the Holy Spirit speaks to you through His Word, man, that'll, that'll keep ministering to you after I'm gone. And hopefully I can be an encouragement to you and you can pray for me. If nothing else, I'm gaining your prayers right now. When I go to Portland, please pray for me. Help me. Come see. Uh, but that's all I have for you guys uh, today. Right. Hey. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. First of all, for Amos, a common man who ends up in the presence of a king. Because the word of God is like that. And when the word of God comes in your heart, it's worth it. Even for you, like Thomas said, God is calling every one of you to preach at some level. And the gospel will always face opposition 
and preachers of the gospel will always face opposition. Don't be scared of that. That's a good fellowship to be in. The fellowship of the sufferings, the fellowship of the cross, man. That's a good place to be, faith fellowship. This is that time of year, you know, when everybody thinks, oh, resolutions. What am I going to do with 2024? There's nothing better to do in 2024 than to take what God has given you and then you give it to someone else. You heard it from Thomas. You heard it from Amos. If you have received the gospel, if you have a testimony, then you have enough to start preaching. If you don't know how to do that, then you, well, Thomas is going to leave. He can go back to his place and get ready to go on, but Dell's going to help you out, and I'm going to help you out, and Mark Jelks is going to help you out. We're actually going to be working on using our testimonies to preach. So that's that's on the agenda coming up here in just a couple months. So you guys will want to make sure you just, just tell somebody. Just say, hey, pray for me. I need to learn how to use my testimony to preach, or I need to learn how to share the gospel. Hallelujah. I pray that God spoke to you. He spoke to me. And uh, why don't we say thank you again to Thomas. Give, a, give another hand. <laughs> to a herdman, right? He might be good looking, but he ain't special. You know, he's just a herdman with nice shoes. So praise the Lord for some herdman. All right. Uh, we got we got about five minutes. Yep. We got about five minutes to do two things. One, if you need to talk to somebody, uh, you know, if you need to grab Thomas or Dell or me, uh, you know, or, or one of the ladies, do it. Or just whoever you're sitting next to and you need to pray with them, do it. If God's calling you to make commitments to him, do it. Best thing to do when, when God is speaking to you is to share that with someone else and invite them to help you with that. Let them hold you accountable, okay? If you don't need to talk to anyone else, then uh, you probably need to hug Thomas and just thank him for coming. And uh, I'm going to pray um, for Thomas right now, and we'll pray for his work. And if you want to if you wanna get up and if, and if like, hey, you're, you're excited about what God's doing, if you want to get up right now and go just put your hands on Thomas, are you okay with people getting close to you? Do it. All right? Yeah, bring him up here in the front. Why don't we get a couple of other, other people who just want to uh, say, I'm excited for what God is doing in Portland. And whether I go there ever or not, I'm just I'm committed to praying for the gospel wherever it goes. So we need to pray for Thomas. And Thomas is standing in representation of, of Amber and three little kids as well, uh, plus another couple that's going with them already. Uh, so there's a few people that are behind this. You don't have to be up here to pray for them. Um, but let's thank God for what he's doing. Lord, Thank you for Thomas and, and the way he leads his family and, uh, and a wife who's, who's, who's just as in as, uh, as he is. God, I know how important that is when we're going to go and plant a church. God, I'm thankful for her heart, uh, for, for young kids who, who are too young to really know. But God, I pray that you would protect their hearts and protect them through the move and that they would see their role in your kingdom no matter where they're at. Uh, God, we're grateful for James DeCoker and his willingness to, to himself to have gone out and to come back and now to equip other men to go out and, and to, to plant churches. God, we pray that Oakland Heights uh, would send them in strength and would support them well. We pray that Oakland Heights would go from strength to strength as, as another man steps in and fills the role that Thomas had there. God, there's, you know, there's so much that goes on uh, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes, but in all of it, 
God, we need you to move. God, we need you to, to, to continually guide us. God, we need you to continually humble Thomas. God, keep him on his knees before you because it's not a work that can be done in the power of the flesh. It has to be you. And, Lord, we got nothing to offer, nothing to offer the world, especially a broken and, and possessed world, except your spirit work. And, God, we ask that you would do that in, in, the, in the Harding house first, and, and then as they go, uh, Lord, that you would go before them, and you do that in Portland as well. And uh, God, guide us. How do we help? How do we support? Uh, keep us on our knees for this church plant. In Jesus' name, amen.